Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation in partnership with the Compassionate Friends and the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. Today, we're going to have a very inspirational show because we're going to talk a little bit about moving beyond loss with a wonderful author. And Heidi, do you want to introduce her? I would love to. We just met Nancy Sharp, who is going to be our guest today. And we met her at an ADAC conference and spent a lot of time with her. And she's got great energy, and I really loved getting to know her. And I'm excited that I'm calling her a friend now, so and that she's on the show. She has a really compelling story, and we are going to talk today about moving beyond loss. Nancy is a Huffington Post blogger, author, and motivational speaker who inspires others to move beyond loss and setbacks. When life hands you the unthinkable, you must find new ways to see. Her memoir, Both Sides Now, a true story of love, loss, and bold living, is the recipient of seven book honors, including books for a better life. This book tells a very personal story of losing her first husband to cancer, when their twins were only two and a half years old. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thank you so much, Gloria and Heidi. It's just great to have you on, Nancy, and to hear about your story and, and all that you've been through and what you're doing now. You're a real inspiration. Now, I want to start out with your story because your husband was very young when he got brain cancer, right? He was 32 when he was diagnosed. And, you know, it was the shock of a lifetime. I mean, he'd never been sick with anything in his life more serious than a head cold. And then, you know, the whole thing started with hiccuping and burping. That's how his symptoms first presented. And they so got weird. worse. It is so strange. Cause, well, you know what I was told that with children, if a child is hiccuping and burping, a pediatrician would, if, if it's persistent, a pediatrician would want to do an MRI. But with adults, they don't typically go that route. So it, it took some time and it took for him to really deteriorate for them to finally do an MRI and us to realize what was happening. And while he was going through this, you became pregnant and delivered twins, a boy and a girl. And you talk in the book about the experience of having twins with him. I told Heidi one thing that was very interesting to me. And by the way, you're an excellent writer. I really uh, enjoyed the way you organized you. the book. But one thing that I found very interesting is when you have kids, a three-year-old or two-and-a-half-year-old, they're really saying it the way it is. They're saying things, you know, like, where's daddy? Is he coming back? Are you coming back? They really say what the world doesn't want to say, but everybody's thinking. It's so true. It was, I think it, it was just both a blessing and chip at the same time. I mean, I guess it's both sides now, having had newborn children right at the time that Brett began to deteriorate. I had no idea what to say to them. And we had a social worker coming into our apartment in New York City at the time, and she was marvelous. And she was doing play therapy with them and sort of drawing out in real basic linear sketches. Here's daddy lying on a hospital bed. And later, I mean, here's daddy dead. It just, it's, it's hard enough for, it's hard enough for adults. I love, Little Nancy, how you thing. brought in a social worker and did play therapy. I, I teach, you know, social work classes at Columbia and how to work with children. And play therapy is so powerful. What a great way for your kids to be able to express themselves through a third party and yes. talk about through drawing and playing what was going it on. Was it so was so powerful, Heidi. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't my idea. I, I can't take credit for it. Because my children were born prematurely at 30 weeks, we had a bevy of early intervention services that New York City provided, and I didn't know anything about this, but we were in the process of applying for nursery schools, and one of the, actually a director at the Bank Street School, <clears throat> said yeah, to us at the time, 
you should get a social worker to come in because, you know, she knew what was happening in our family. And I didn't even realize the city would do that, but she was so special, this, this woman. And we still, we still speak. And it meant everything to me because she was really the person I leaned on the most in the house. Tell Heidi about the robots and the bot. I think that was brilliant. So there's a child psychiatrist. I think he's, uh, he's in New York. And we had gone to see him because Casey, my son, I, you know, I have boy-girl twins, and my son was really, really having, I would say, more of a visceral, almost primal reaction to losing his dad. You know, he would camp outside the door. He wasn't eating. He was walking on his toes. He was, like, unhinged. And my uncle, who's a, a pediatrician, had said, I want you to bring him to a child psychiatrist. He needs to talk to somebody. So we went to this lad, Spiegel, and, you know, he began to... He began to, to talk to him about what that meant really to be dead, taking it beyond the drawing that the social worker had done with play therapy. And he brought out these tin robots, one silver, one black. And one day, several sessions after we began to see him, they buried the robot. And I think he was wow. trying to help Casey find some, some closure. I still have them. They're actually on my desk. Yeah, when you say he buried him, he actually had a little box there and showed him, right? Because he had a box. Because I'm a family yeah. therapist, and one yeah. thing we would do is we'd actually go out to the cemetery and bury, a bo- bury one of the robots. <laughs> well, uh, tricky. They were so little, and I'm not sure what you would advise families. I know in my situation, they didn't come to the funeral. They were two and a half years old. And this Dr. Spiegel had said, you know, don't take them to the cemetery just yet. It may be too charged. Wait a bit. He said, and if I were you, pass enough to and just drive by a random cemetery and just say, oh, look, there's a cemetery. And that's what I did. Six months later, we were in Connecticut visiting my parents, who happened to live in Easton, which is an old, old rural town, and there's an old cemetery near their house. So I'm driving, and they're in the back seat, and I said, oh, look, there's a cemetery. And my daughter, who had a very high voice at the time, said, is that where Daddy is? And I didn't even answer. And my son said, no, Rebecca, daddy's in the sky. I was like, wow, where did he come up with that one? (laughs) And my daughter said, well, is the sky back that way, mama? Insinuating New York City where we live. And Casey said, no, Rebecca, the sky is everywhere. Oh, wow. That's 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 really incredible. That's amazing. Is it? Is the title of my forthcoming children's book for very young children about how to handle loss. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you talk about in your book, which Heidi and I, is really interesting because it's about the fact that you had to reassure them that you were coming back. Because Heidi's worked with the 9-11 families, and and sometimes we talk to people about the fact that you have to tell children, mommy is coming back, nothing's going to happen to mommy. And people say, well, you're lying to him because you're not sure that, you know, right, Heidi? We've heard that. Absolutely. I mean, you have to reassure them that they still live in a safe and predictable world. They've lost their right. dad, and God forbid something happens to you, and you know this better than anybody, Nancy. So just to let the kids know, hey, look, I'm, Mommy's safe. We're still living in a safe world. Most people don't get sick and die like this, you know, even though it's hard for kids that young to understand that. But to kind of yeah. continue to reassure, I'm taking good care of myself. I'm healthy right now. Mommy's healthy, mommy's here for you, so that kids don't grow up with with generalized anxiety disorders, basically. I somehow feel like when you've had a traumatic early loss like that, it's you live with that all the time. And no amount of reassurance, 
I think, you know, it's, it's a, it is a bomb for their fears. You're right, Nancy. It is definitely going to be at the back of your mind. And, and, and the reality that people suddenly die. I mean, in my own case, I was 20, so I wasn't a child, but I still now know that people suddenly die. And my brother was only 17 and things happen suddenly. Yeah. What we found in the 9-11 study that was helpful, and it didn't totally stop anxiety, but it helped, was that people had candid conversations with their children and said, look, I love you, I'm doing, I'm healthy, There's, especially at this age, now that they're 13, 14. There, it's probably very unlikely that anything will ever happen to me. However, in the event that anything ever does, which I don't think it will, I think I'm going to live until I'm 80 or 90, you know, aunt so-and-so or uncle so-and-so is going to take you and raise you as your as their child. Kind of, you know, mm. reassuring them that, oh my God, they're not going to end up homeless or in a shelter or in a foster home. Because I think on right. some level, even though kids might not say that, they might be fearful about what would happen to me, God forbid anything happened to mom. Yeah, you I'm, I'm sure you're right. So Nancy, here you have lost your husband. You've got these two children. You're living in New York City and you, you just say, okay, I need a, I need a change of scenery and I'm going to move to Colorado. Is that what happened? Not entirely. I mean, there was, there was time. I mean, we had to take a beat. We had to pause. You know, and even though I lived with such premature anticipatory grief for so many years, I, I can't even remember how many times I buried Brett before I actually buried him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, even when he died in February 2004, I still felt unhinged. I felt unprepared for the finality of it. You know, I was overwhelmed by the responsibility of raising preemie toddler twins. We didn't have life insurance diagnosed before we had children. And it scared me half to death because I didn't know how we were going to do this. And I started to get way ahead of myself and project, which is a bad habit of mine, I suppose. But I started to get worried that what's going to happen when the health insurance runs out and I went back to work. Uh, I, I had been working on my own, but of course we were on Brett's benefits, and I felt it was a responsibility. So I did that for about a year and a half. Um, we got a no pair because I, I needed help. I thought it would be a good idea to have somebody else in the house living with us and helping me and giving me a little bit of, of independence when I needed it. Times it felt like I had a third child. <laughs> but, you know, in time I began to feel just tired of the life in New York and that city that had once energized, now draining me at every turn. And to be honest, the timing really pushed my hand because the twins were going to be getting ready to go into kindergarten. And any, you know, if anybody knows anything about getting kids into school in New York City, it's no easy thing. It's no easy thing for one kid, let alone two. You're right. It's, it's not. Anyway, so you decided to move to Colorado. Yeah, I did because I was turning 40 and I yeah. decided, you know what? I've had enough. Like, if not now, when? I'm not going to go through a whole other decade of not of, of not living. I needed to live. Tell them how to get a hold of your book. My website at nancysharp.net. You can also, uh, of course, get both sides now on Amazon or at bookstores everywhere. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Nancy. And thanks for writing this book. It's a very hard experience, but it is written so well. I love the way she's got everything categorized, organized. It's an enjoyable read about an experience of someone who's gone on through loss and come out on the other end, as she said, both sides now. And I would highly suggest that you get it. And thanks for being on our show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nancy. You're, you are 
seriously an inspiration. I am going to have to read this book because I feel like there's so many different components to it. And thinking about you raising twins on your own, I mean, I think for the people out there that don't know how they're going to find hope after loss, lean on ours and Nancy's until you found your own. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. You've been listening to the Open to Hope show brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation in partnership with the Compassionate Friends and the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. And Heidi and I want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless.